Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Peter Joseph, and you're listening to V Radio. Hello, and welcome to this edition of V Radio. Uh, tonight, I'm going to be doing a post-interview analysis of uh, my previous interview with Rudy Davis. This is actually a long time coming. I had planned on doing it a while ago, but a couple of things came up, and um, not the least of which being the opportunity to bring a couple of guests on my show that I wanted to deal with. So, um, in any case, um, I wrote that blog just to give you guys kind of an idea of how long sometimes it takes to make a blog for V Radio. I started working on that at like 10 a.m. and then wasn't finished with it until like 3 p.m. I mean, I took breaks every now and then to eat or whatever, but um, even just in the, like, the little bit of type that you see there, it took a long time for me to put that together, largely also because I was um, reviewing the show while I was doing it. But um, a couple of other little pieces of news, uh, first of which is uh, you may see if you go to um, the Zeitgeist Movement forums in the news area, I have a thread put up called Fake ZM Facebook Page, Remove It, Block It. Um, the person who made that Facebook page is Bill Matriarch. Matriarch, I don't know how to say it. Um, anyway, he's a troll that we banned from Zeitgeist Movement Forums a long time ago. Uh, he continues to participate in harassment of various Zeitgeist Movement members. Um, he even created his own false Zeitgeist Movement, which links to various anti-Zeitgeist Movement sites. Um, I've noticed that a lot of people have his profile in their friends that probably don't know who, is, who it is that they're dealing with. Um, but if you go to that link um, that's in the first post there, it'll take you to the Facebook profile. Um, what I've been telling people to do is not only to make sure that they haven't friended this profile, but also to um, remove it from their friends and report it. Let's um, mention block it. Uh, because it's it basically he's impersonating the zeitgeist movement. Um, one of the things that brought this to my attention, actually, is he, he posted and bragged about it on the conspiracy science forums and um, also did something kind of creepy there. I, I You'll notice that on my personal Facebook, that's another announcement I need to make, is um, my I'm not taking friend requests for my personal Facebook any longer unless I know you personally. That this is the one that's for Neil Kieran and it's not for VTVB Radio um, because he was posting like all of my uh, status updates from my personal Facebook stuff about my family, my kids, my home life, just stuff that isn't everybody's business. You know, he put a lot of freaking trouble into it too. I don't know what his well, I do know what his obsession is. Just another troll that we rejected who just doesn't have a life and has nothing better to do with his time than to come up with ways to harass people, but um, anyway, um, needless to say, he's bad people, so just be wary. Um, now, that being said and out of the way, um, tonight's show is, once again, uh, it's based on the blog that I wrote called Thoughts on the Rudy Davis Interview. Uh, you can read along with me. Um, Somebody's asking his name again. Oh, Bill Matriarch or Matriarch or whatever. I, I can just copy it over so you can look at it. But in fact, I'll just drop the, the, the link to you guys here in the chat room to the posting question. Explains the whole thing there. Um, now, I'm also going to drop the link in the chat room to the blog that I'll be reading from tonight. If you guys want to read along with me, uh, 
before I get started, I want to thank everybody who's donated to V Radio for uh, this month. Um, I actually put up, I think I put up a December chip in before the November one without thinking, but I'm just going to put one up for next month anyway. Um, you guys have actually helped me out a lot. Now, the good news is, is that it looks like things are improving here, so if uh, something that I've got when I'm working on right now pans out, then I'll be able to once again lower the chip-in goal, which will be great because I feel terrible even asking for you guys for any help for me, but even though I do put a lot of work in, I know I have not been able to as much lately. I've been, um, thanks to the death of a friend of mine, I haven't really been up to it. So, um, but I got to push forward because you guys are donating for a reason. So, anyway, um, there's only a little bit left on the, the widget for this month. And um, it looks like I will also be getting my V Radio t shirts up for sale. I'll probably do a calendar too. I was given permission to do that with various Venus Project artworks in it. Um, just some things because I prefer, you know, you guys can actually buy something substantial and, as opposed to just sending me cash. But, Anyway, um, all of that being said, thank you everybody who has supported V Radio so far. And um, once again, V Radio is looking for uh, suggestions for show topics and for guests. If you're going to suggest a guest, though, please do me a favor of trying to find a means by which to contact said person and provide it in the email in question. You can contact me at v-radio.org. I'm sorry, vtv at v-radio.org is my email. Um, or through my Skype, vtv115. All of this is actually findable on the website, vradio.org, v-radio.org. Um, there, and you can, if you go to the contacts area, you can find my Skype, you know, uh, the vtv, vradio Facebook that I still take invitations from and so on and so forth and get in contact with me that way. Uh, another thing, Sending me messages on the VTV V Radio Facebook as far as just actual messages is not a good way to get a hold of me. It is the, the inbox for that is full of spam. You're better off just emailing me. So uh, that being said, um, I'm going to dig in here a little bit. I'm going to be doing this show solo, so I'm going to take you know, a little brief time to try to talk about it now. Uh, for those of you, I, I hope everybody who's listening also listened to the Rudy Davis interview. Um, Rudy Davis was a, like a, is a Christian capitalist you know, of the free market variety. He did a YouTube show, uh, like basically YouTube stuff. He's got a big Texas flag and puts on a Texas hat. And, you know, he's, he's definitely got the Texan thing going on. And um, he seemed very convinced that uh, things were evil. So I'm going to go ahead and start reading. But uh, thoughts on the Rudy Davis interview. This conversation jumped around a lot on different tangents, so I'm going to try and organize different things that we talked about here. So what is in this blog is not really going to be in chronological order as to how the conversation actually took place. question was, is the Venus Project or the Zeitgeist Movement advocating an evil system? Mr. Davis made a YouTube video wherein he stated that the Venus Project system was an evil system. He went on to describe a few different times and in a few different ways during my interview with him how this was the case. In this blog, I intend to go over a lot of the logical fallacies in his argument to help the listeners understand the various ways Mr. Davis was conditioned to every the responses that he did. Um, and these are the reasons I was able to isolate. Number one, we were putting the sovereignty of machines over the spirit of man. 
He went on to elaborate his beliefs on the human soul. Two, machines should bow to man, not man to machines. I went on to compare machines being used in decision-making to a thermostat, making the decision to turn on either your furnace and or your air conditioner. Now, this is a very important point that people, um, when hearing about the Venus Project, often misunderstand, but it is very important that we are very clear about what role machines have in decision-making. In order to understand this, first of all, we have to look at what role we want any form of government to have in our lives. We want to have a world where there is no state ruling over the people themselves. This is an extremely important point. No machine will be telling you who you can marry, what religion you will be part of, or what news you will see on television, though it is obviously possible that the systems involved could take control over the airwaves temporarily if there was an alert of danger in a given area. Any limitations that a machine would suggest for human behavior would be based on available resources. Any such limits to human activity based on a shortage of resources would be treated as a problem to be solved. Say there is not enough food in a given area for the population. The computer would alert us to the shortage and suggest that moving into, the, in, into that area or having children in that area would not be prudent until the food scarcity issue could be solved. This is one thing that I, I didn't put in the blog, but it, it kind of comes down to this. Uh, there is a limit to how many resources there are on the planet. That's not negotiable. It's, it's not anybody ruling over you to tell you that there is a limit to a certain amount of resources. The difference is, is that capitalists seem to think that the fairest way to handle that is for everybody to play a rat race game, and whoever comes out on top gets to have whatever is scarce, and everybody else just doesn't. And they call that fair. <laughs> um, so anyway... When I point out that it is an issue to be solved, I'm pointing out that any time that there is some kind of shortage, um, then we treat that as a clear and present danger to mankind, and then we solve it. We don't profit from it. We don't raise the prices and therefore the profit margin of a given item. We find ways to either replace it or to make it no longer scarce. Now, so when you take away the state's role in doing this, meaning ruling over people, all that is left is the state's power over infrastructure. Obviously, we don't, man, we don't want man doing this either. The analogy I usually give is the example of, say, a department of sewer to deal with maintenance of the sewer systems within a given community. Directorship of this department would presumably be given, a locally elected, be given, given to a locally elected official who would generally be influenced by companies that aided him financially during his political campaign. People who had a problem with their local sewer would have to go to some sort of meeting to bring the problem to the attention of this elected official. A great deal of bureaucracy and red tape would likely be involved. Then the official in charge of the system would eventually be inclined to give a no-bid contract to a corporation to fix the problem in the sewer, one that likely donated to his campaign. The company and the people working for them would be inclined to take, you know, to make the job take as long as possible, using resources to fix it that would not necessarily be the best. After all, they want to be back fixing fixing the sewer again in the relatively near future. Now, another aspect of this is that um, about politics is that the, we call it the revolving door, as Jim Perkins pointed out. You go from being the CEO of a major company to being vice president of the United States or secretary of state or secretary of defense. You know, um, it, you know, Donald Rumsfeld was 
in charge of, or like was really high up in Monsanto at one point. Funny that a guy goes from, you know, being in charge of an evil company like Monsanto and moving on to Secretary of Defense. Um, but anyway, just as an example, you know, it's, this is why having politicians in charge of your infrastructure is not really in your best interest. And that's why we suggest creating a thermostat essentially for, for, for people's every needs. I'm going to move on to what I said here, but I said, or you can have a sewer system that can be equipped with sensors that detect a problem when, when and where it happens, deploy a robot that does not belong to a labor union, will not be taking lunch breaks, or having the job take longer to ensure that its hourly wage for a task is profitable, and will use the best possible materials available with the intention for any such repair to last as long as possible. No one will profit off of the repair of the sewer, so there is no incentive to do the job inefficiently, and hopefully no human even needs to be bothered by the entire issue. In effect, what we are talking about is automating the tasks previously dealt with by conventional governments that people don't need to be bothered with. The system would be transparent so that if there was an issue, people could be notified so that the issue could be solved. I stumbled on this definition in Wikipedia. It's called cyberocracy. Cyberocracy describes a form of government or an element of government that rules by the effective use of information. The exact nature of a cyberocracy is largely speculative, as currently there have been no cybercratic governments. However, a growing number of prototype cybercratic elements can currently be found in many developed nations. The fundamental feature of a cyberocracy would be the rapid transmission of relevant information from the source of a problem to the people in a position able to fix said problem, most likely via a system of interconnected computer networks and automated information sorting software, with human decision makers only being called in in the case of the usual problems, problem trends, or through an appeal process pursued by an individual. Cyberocracy is the functional antithesis of traditional bureaucracies, which sometimes notoriously suffer from fifism, um, slowness, and a list of other unfortunate qualities. Ultimately, a cyberocracy may use administrative um, AIs, if not an AI as the head of state of a forming a machine rule government. Now, that last line would scare most people, but again, we are not talking about a government, or we are talking about, I'm sorry, we are talking about a government wherein the concept of rule is extremely limited. And in the end, we, the humans, still have the power to alter that machine as needed. The benefits of this are many, including if such a machine was tampered with, that corruption would be traceable to its source. Whereas when a politician is corrupted in some fashion, it is rarely possible to determine the exact source. And in our current system, politicians being corrupted by monetary donations to their campaigns is accepted as the way it is. And any notion of telling corporations that they should not have the right to bribe politicians is considered a threat to freedom. Meanwhile, the rest of us from childhood on are brainwashed with this notion that this system functions perfectly with corporations motivated by their own self-interest and profit-choosing, what candidates we get, we get to learn about, and what spin will be applied to make their agendas seem in their best interest. And when you think about that, you know, they really do. The corporations already decide who gets placed in front of us in the ballot, just as uh, Peter Joseph pointed out. You know, it's it's a smaller, an ever-growing smaller number of extremely wealthy people that we get to choose from. 
you know, at what point, you know, do we ever get a chance? I mean, in theory, they always say, well, yeah, you can choose to vote for the Green Party candidate or the Libertarian candidate or the Constitution Party candidate, but whoever hears about them, out of sight, out of mind. If you control the, you know, um, what everybody sees, what everybody hears, and in particularly the spin. The spin is really important. You watch Fox News, they go out of their way to make, you know, their right-leaning politicians look good. You watch, you know, NBC, they make, go out of the way to make their left-leaning politicians look good. But very rarely, other than maybe as an occasional oddity, do you ever really get any kind of time for anybody outside of that. It's always the Democrats or the Republicans. A few things will change, you know, and, and not to mention, remember, folks, the fact that I've said this many times, the right-left paradigm is like this concept that we have to choose between things like, well, you can either have civil rights or you can have health care, as if you can't have civil rights and health care. The way things are all divided up in the, in the typical right-to-left you know, idea about things politically is, is really screwed up. And it gives you these ideas that in order to support freedom, you are not allowed to have health care. You know, it's, it's silly, um, but that's, that they keep us basically forever watching this. And then you, talk, you, know, you listen to these people, you know, the Michelle Malkins and the Ann Coulters, both of which drive me up the frickin' wall, you know, who are projected as knowing what they're talking about, and then they talk very confidently. So you, you listen to them, you know, because they, they, they know how to get you to think like this. I mean, if you watch Cywar, which if you haven't, please go to, you know, vradio.org, check out the must-see TV section, and go watch Cywar. lays all of this out far more eloquently than I'll be able to in this broadcast. Now, um, let's scale this issue down a bit. Let's say a fellow has a personal resource-based economy. One, his food is produced through an automated farming system. Two, his energy is produced via renewable and clean methods. He has a solar array and some wind power. Three, his heating and cooling is handled by a geothermal system. Now, four, because all of his worldly needs are handled automatically, he is free to spend his time pursuing education, art, or whatever he takes an interest in. He could and should also become familiar with whatever technical knowledge he needs to maintain his personal ecology so that he can fix any problem or problems that his automated system cannot handle. So basically, he should you know, acquaint himself with the stuff that he's using to produce all of this as part of his education. Now, all of this is maintained and monitored by a central computer system in his home. He gets to determine what sort of crops he wants the system to make, but he is guided by information on what crops will yield the best results and have the most nutritional value. The central computer system monitors all of the automated systems within his home environment. It reports any possible shortages or catastrophes that it cannot account for so that the human in his equation can deal with those issues. Now, does this machine rule the person in question? Clearly not. So essentially we have a guy who's running his own automated systems for food and energy and heating and cooling, and it's all automated. Is the computer ruling him because it's controlling his environment? No, it's not. It's, it's totally programmed exactly as he needs it to moderate things for him. You know, it's the same thing. I mean, can you imagine having to manually go in and feed the amount of gasoline you wanted into your car, you know, no, you have, there's, there are devices in your car for that. Can you imagine having to go in and manually 
monitor what temperature your refrigerator is? Obviously not. Now, is the thermostat in your refrigerator ruling you because it's controlling the temperature in your refrigerator? No, that's silly, and nobody would ever imply that. But people knee-jerk a lot. when you hear. When you ever, if you say the word control at all, people immediately assume that it's bad. You say the word rule, and people think it's bad. So especially, you know, right-wing Christians <laughs> who come on my show. Now, anyway, um, we touched on the issue of a system that has no prisons or laws. He used examples such as child molestation and rape to illustrate that not all crimes are related to scarcity in the monetary system. I asked him what he believed the cause of such things were. I asked him if he thought it was Satan. He had previously stated that he believed that he believed in the inherently sinful nature of man. Um, he said, I believe that mankind is a sinful creature. He admitted that he believed that a lot of it had to do with the environment and the things we allow in society, but then repeated that if we do not look to a God Almighty, something higher than man, it is difficult, if not impossible, to get out of the state of being inherently sinful. This is a common problem in talking to non-atheists about what we suggest. First of all, it implies that mankind is evil because there is some boogeyman named Satan who runs around whispering in our ears, convincing us to do evil things. I remember one of the things I said in response to this later in the interview is that mankind does not need a Satan to commit evil acts and is perfectly capable of doing so without any supernatural being telling us to. That, in fact, my, that, that in fact mankind tends to use Satan as a cop-out or excuse for actions that um, we as men and women should be taking responsibility for ourselves. Ironically, I had originally heard this method of thinking from an article written by a Jewish rabbi. Furthermore, attributing behavior to the supernatural kind of puts us in a position like the war on terror. Since we will never defeat Satan, there will forever be this war for your soul going on that will allow people to justify acts of tyranny in the name of winning. Even many Christian friends of mine agree that focusing so much on Satan is not a good approach. Christianity, in theory, is supposed to be about love, not hatred for Satan, and that if you have chosen to be a good person solely out of fear of hell or Satan, you are not exactly acting on free will, and there is nothing genuine about your good nature. Anyone, can be, um, anyone being coerced can be convinced to behave a certain way. It's when it is a free choice, absent of fear, that it actually means something. It doesn't mean anything to choose to be a good person if the only reason you're doing it is because you think you're going to get you know, burned in a lake of fire forever. It's when you choose to be a good person absent any fear of anything that you're actually choosing to be a good person. It's one of the strange little problems that I've always had with Christianity. God tells you you have free will, then he tells you do what I say or you're going into the lake of fire. Now mind you, you have a choice. You can choose to go into the lake of fire if you want, that's why I often use this as an example. You know, I tell people, I'm like, you know, that, you know, God tells you he has free will. Well, if I come into your house with an AK-47 and say, now, you can choose to do what I say, or you can choose to have me shoot you and your family. Is that free will? I don't really feel that it is. Now, somebody absent any form of coercion whatsoever or goes out of his way to commit an act of kindness, now that person should be commended. I'd say especially if it wasn't because he thought that he was also either going to be rewarded for doing it. It's one of the things I remember once. I went to this really nice church. 
you know, because they, they help people there who need food. And as many of you know, I've, I've bounced back and forth between poverty and not poverty. And I looked around and there were all these great people there. And they were helpful, very helpful. You know, they gave my family food. They fed us. They always had meals, you know, cooking there for the people as they showed up. And they sent them back with food for their pantry. And I'm just like, all these people need this excuse to do this. You know, it's like, why is that? Because they all seemed like great people. But it's like they needed the excuse to get together and do this. It, I just, I, it didn't make any sense to me. And, you know, any time I've ever been in a position to be charitable, I just did it because I felt it was the right thing to do. And it's logical, too. We're going to get into that later. Now, even – oh, wait, no, I already read that part. Now, it is often a concern that religious people have that atheists cannot have morals without a God almighty or being God-fearing, and therefore our system of identifying behaviors at the root cause absent any supernatural notions would be frightening to a religious person. Because then rather than having Satan to blame for their sins, they might have to actually take responsibility for their environment and its effects on their own behavior. Next, Mr. Davis was concerned that we would make preaching religion illegal or act to prevent him from spreading the word of his religion. I really have no idea where he got the idea that we would do this, but because of a large atheist population within the Zeitgeist movement, it doesn't surprise me. The official position of the Venus Project, according to Jacques Fresco in his Living on Purpose interview, is that in a Venus Project society, all religions would have equal time in our communication mediums and equal access to resources, the same as anyone else. We do not advocate telling anyone what beliefs they can and cannot hold, so long as their beliefs do not include feeling justified in acting to control the lives of others in pursuit of their religious beliefs theocracy or government based in religion would not be permitted as we advocate a society governed by reason and the scientific method. Fortunately enough, Mr. Davis also said he did not agree with theocracy. Um, so if a woman freely chooses to wear a scarf covering her head, nobody would stop her in the society we suggest. But on the same token, we would not stand by and permit a woman being punished by anyone for freely choosing not to participate in that tradition. This position of free choice in regards to religion is not just about morality or of allowing free choice. It is because we understand that coercion and force are not even an effective means to create social change or understanding anyway. If you ban religion, it would just go underground and even gain new allure by being taboo or forbidden. Throughout history, the negative impacts of superstition are slowly but steadily eroded through education and science, and far more effectively than any act than an actively acting to attack certain beliefs. We are similar of a similar feeling about lifestyle choices, including the use of drugs, unhealthy food, etc. Now, later on in the conversation, I again have to try to point blank Mr. Davis with the question of why is the Venus Project evil? He didn't want to outright admit that the only reason he felt that we were evil was because we were not Christian. I asked him politely more than once over the course of the three-hour conversation, is the, you know, is the Zeitgeist Movement Venus Project evil because there are a lot of atheists involved? Is the Zeitgeist Movement Venus Project evil because we are not Christian? Is it because we don't believe in God that we are evil? He always answered no to any of these questions, yet the context of what he would say in response to that question always seemed to sound like he believed all of those things. One of the things that he stated made, uh, made him feel we were evil is because 
in his estimation, we do not believe in a right or wrong, or even the concept of evil itself. I pointed out to him that we would not spend so much time in the Zeitgeist movement exposing the evils of political corruption, wars, abuses, etc., if we did not believe in right and wrong. If we did not believe in right and wrong, what exactly would motivate us to change the world in the first place? Sorry about that brief pause. He then countered by asking, who gets to define then what is evil? I will be looking for the answer to that question to a higher creator, and you would only be looking to what society determined was good or evil. His big thing was he kept thinking we would only be, our morality would be judged by our society as opposed to a higher creator. And I say, it is often a pitfall that we see many religious people fall into, that morality cannot arise out of anything absent a belief in the supernatural. I would counter this by saying that, in fact, morality itself, in its most basic sense, is actually quite logical, absent any belief in any deity. Let's use some examples. One, it is logical to oppose murder, because I don't want to be murdered, nor would I want anyone to murder anyone I cared about. Two, it is logical to oppose rape for the same reason. Three, it is logical to oppose greed because greed has serious impacts on the people in a community and I could very well be one of those people negatively affected by it. I could go on with examples like these for pages and pages, but it really amounts to this. The golden rule of Christianity is logical. Treat others as you would have them treat you. If everyone practiced it, Um, It is highly reasonable that regardless of where mankind heard the idea from, even if it was from his noodly goodness, the world would quite rationally be a better place for everyone living here. I don't have to believe that Jesus said that to see the inherent logic in such a statement. And in fact, many other religions have a similar rule or one that is a similar rule or one that is also so encompassing that it would create vast tranquility if it were practiced. This is completely logical and by no means unique to Christianity. Let's take a look. Buddhism, 560 BC from the Uddhanivagara. Sorry, I totally mispronounced that. Hurt not others with that which pains yourself. Judaism, 1300 BC from the Old Testament, Leviticus 19.18. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Hinduism, 3200 BC from the Hito Padisa, one should always treat others as they themselves wish to be treated. Sounding familiar yet? Zoroastrianism, 600 BC from the Shastnatshayast, 1329, whatever is disagreeable to yourself, do not do unto others. Confucianism from the Analects, 1523. What you do not want done to yourself, do not do to others. I added this one. Wicca, uh, the, basically the witchcraft religion, do whatever you want so long as you don't harm anyone. And, of course, Christianity, 30 A.D., from the King James Version of the Bible, 712, whatever ye would that others should do to you, do, even, uh, do not do even so to them. Basically the same thing. King James is always so goofy. <laughs> It's interesting to note that this concept has found its way into so many completely unrelated religions from completely unrelated cultures. Could this be because such a stance on how to conduct oneself is rather logical? 
And the more people behave this way, the more li- the, the, the more people who behave this way, the more likely you yourself will be treated well. Mr. Davis really emphasized that it was critical that people believe in a human soul in order to be moral, and that it was our lack of belief in the soul that meant we were evil. This is another theory of why we're evil. It's because we don't believe in the soul. He again thought we intended to stomp on his a stomp on the human soul. So much of our problem came from him fearing that we intended to take things from him. The propaganda machine that was used to make people think communism is evil causes people frequently to knee-jerk that any system that suggests that we share resources must also be a coercive entity. We also touched on the concern most people who think that they're uh, basically that most people who think that their guns and their ability to use violence protects them. This generally leads them to the reaction to be concerned that we are going to take their guns. I have pointed out in previous radio shows the ownership of firearms that the average citizen has in the United States would in no way save us from a fascist takeover anyway. I have also pointed out that it is not that we would make firearms illegal. It's a matter of working on the environment to make the ownership of firearms obsolete, not taking your guns, working on making it so nobody needs them anymore. And even then, Nobody is going to come to your house and take your guns. The point is that violence and force are, ju- are not just wrong. They are not effective in actually affecting change. If they were, the presence of guns in our society would have already ended crime. I did find it dubious, but sadly not surprising, that Mr. Davis, a devout Christian, would also value the teachings of Ayn Rand. We get into that a little bit more as the interview goes on. Resource-based economy. Um, this is the next section, essentially, that we you know, we talked in. Resource-based economics versus free market economics. Like many of other free market advocates, Mr. Davis suggested that the real problem is not money, but the fiat money system that is the problem. Basically, the practice of printing money out of thin air. That if we went to an honest money system, a money system where the money is based on an actual tangible resource like the gold standard that everything would be fine or at least a lot better. One of the major problems with this kind of reasoning is something I wish I had brought up during the interview, because a later point in the conversation he goes on to say that all the great technological innovations and infrastructure that has been developed in the United States was thanks to capitalism. He, he, as many other free market capitalists, tends to leave out a very pertinent point. All of the marvels he is talking about, so far as the great achievements of capitalism, were brought about using the fractional reserve fiat money system. It was only through printing money out of thin air that our society within a capitalist system was able to produce the capital necessary to do things such as the Hoover Dam. In a fixed economy, the money to take take on immense tasks such as these simply would not exist unless a great many people were willing to take huge sacrifices in their lifestyles, all expansion within a fixed or sound money economy is limited by the amount of money within that economy, and and that amount is basically, and the amount that is still in circulation beyond what is needed for everyone to individually sustain themselves. So to translate that, because I know that's a little bit um, over the top, but basically... In order to be able to do any of the things that capitalists brag about, we had to use the fractional reserve fiat money system to produce enough money to do these large things that they're claiming are the marvels of capitalism. If you're going to take on any great task, you would have to inflate the currency, which you can't do in a sound money system. Depending on what you base it on, 
you know, they're suggesting, you know, they base it on gold, but a lot of the major tasks that needed to be done, like the Manhattan Project, could not have been done inside of a, of a sound money system unless all of the rich were willing to give up their money, you know, towards that, that one goal. And it would never happen. If there's only so much money within a system, then there's only so much that can be done, period, uh, you know, in the whole system. Now, as I brought up in one of my previous shows and blogs, questions for capitalists, one of the important questions I always ask that they never have an answer for is how would they implement their system? Because they're so scared about how we would implement ours. How would you implement that system? Now, would all of the people who made their immense fortunes in fiat currency, Federal Reserve notes, have to give up their fake money? Or would they be allowed to transfer all of that into the new sound or honest currency? Well, first of all, I don't even think that's possible. Um, now, couple this with the total deregulation, including getting rid of any regulation that stops monopolies, and what would stop the rich from simply owning the world? Imagine a world with only so much money in it, because we're in a sound money system, wherein the game starts with 5% of the world's population already being in possession of 40% of all the money in existence, where any money loaned to a new business would have to come out of the hands of one of those 5%, a note, which if they are going to create a competitive business is not exactly in their best interest. In other words, it is not in the best interest of the rich in a fixed money economy to loan their money to somebody else who's going to be a competitor with them. Would you loan someone money to start a business that would take business away from your own? Now, even with the fractional reserve lending system allowing new, bus new businesses to take out loans, only one-third of new businesses live out the first year, and only one-third of that number make it past the fourth year. This would create equality how... Can you imagine playing Monopoly where two out of the five players owned 40% of the money in the game? People say, or yes, I can hear the free market capitalists already saying, but wait, you cannot have a monopoly in a true free market. Another one of the near-religious and completely irrational beliefs held by most Austrian economists. And one of the major reasons that the Austrian school is not in fact held in very high regard by even mainstream economists, it simply does not make sense. Well, monopolies just don't happen. That, that's what they say. How? How are you going to prevent a monopoly? Especially because, remember, this is what we were saying. Well, actually, I'll go on to the next paragraph. Now, the only way they could even implement such a system is if all of the assets of the rich were liquidated and everyone started on the same footing, owning nothing and having nothing. The rich would obviously never go along with that, and they own all the guns it would be far easier to convince them to help us build a world where everyone's standard of living is excellent, which is why we feel our plan is far more realistic. We advocate liquidating assets and then everyone having a great lifestyle. And we can move in that direction whether the rich want to go along with us or not. We can develop communities that are not dependent on money. Trying to play the money game that is already rigged is like trying to ice skate uphill. He went on to repeat the theory that most of mankind's problems were directly linked to fiat currency more than once. Then he said it like a billion times. To the point it was like a mantra. And that it was corruption, not money itself, that was the problem. The problem is that money is the cause of the corruption in the first place. But he is Christian and believes that if we believe that there is a supernatural entity that will punish us for being immoral or greedy, then everything will be fine. 
This reminded me something that a theocrat said to me once, that capitalism works a lot better when we have Christianity to guide people morally. He was right. But the fact that we all have to agree that such an entity that we cannot prove the existence of to motivate us not to be corrupt in the first place means that the monetary system being hinged on religion to function is doomed to failure. That's why it's already headed in that direction. Basically, capitalism did work a lot better when somebody would think to themselves, you know, it's not very Christian of me to employ somebody for 50 cents an hour. But as religion falters, because science kills religion over time, those, those things are going away now too. You, even like people who consider themselves to be decent people have justified themselves that it's perfectly okay for them to use sweatshop labor. Now, he also felt that the wealth gap problems of huge pockets of poor compared to the tiny pockets of rich would be greatly reduced in an honest money system, despite the fact that even when money was actually made out of precious metals, meaning totally based in gold and silver, um, this reality was still present, and in fact has been present in every monetary system ever, including the versions of communism that used money. You still have the nomenclature, who were essentially the equivalent of being rich, and then everybody else. Anytime you use money, it inevitably can and will be in the hands of a few people. We discussed how the elite own the media, and I asked him a question that stumped him for several seconds of silence. In an honest money system, what would prevent someone from owning the media? After a very long and uncomfortable pause, the best he could come up with was that this problem would still exist, but to a much lesser extent. Once again, that fiat currency is to blame for everything, as if people could not own the media in a closed money system. In fact, not only, you know, because... Actually, we're going we're gonna to move on here. The entire concept that the free market economics, uh, ec basically uh, that free market economics economists depends on um, is when it comes to preventing monopolies is the notion that competition will prevent them. But in a closed money economy, as we already addressed, it would be far more difficult to get loans. And if the elite wanted to be sure that nobody else owned the media, all they would have to do is be sure that the banking institutions that they own did not loan money to anyone who wanted to create their own media company. And in a quote-unquote free society, as they project, there could be no regulations that would prevent anybody from excluding anyone from loans. Now, we move on to the conversation where Rudy asks, do you feel that people who work harder deserve to have more in life? I answered with, actually, we believe it is better to simply find a way that nobody has to work hard anymore. The conversation that came about from this was interesting, but one of the things that popped up in my head afterward was that the people who make the most money actually, almost inevitably, are the ones doing the least actual work. The CEO of a company does not do anywhere near as much actual work in a given day as the common factory worker or the construction worker, yet the CEO gets great pay, benefits, vacation time, generally a lifestyle far beyond anything the average worker will see in their whole lives. How does this happen? Because people can privately own the means of production, factories, infrastructure, etc., that make the things that we, we, that we require to survive. And by simply having a piece of paper called a deed, they then have huge power over large groups of people who want the products produced or want to find work producing those products. Sure, a CEO does go to board meetings, does paperwork, answers phones, 
I would trade that for a day on the job site of a major construction company any day, not to mention the health problems associated with doing such backbreaking work every day. Ironically, after this point, he states that he cannot imagine an environment where he would not want to work. He goes on to elaborate that people would want to work to better themselves, which is precisely why we feel that the work that we could, you know, basically could do, you know, the we could that could not be automated, would still be done in a resource-based economy, because people will want to work. I pointed out that the greatest inventors in our time actually were not motivated by money. I used the example of the man who created the polio vaccine. When asked who the vaccine belonged to, he answered, the people of the world. The notion that anybody could sell something like that was completely lost on him. I also pointed out that your, cho uh, that your choices of what you would like to work on in this monetary system are also seriously limited, are limited by what you, can make money, what you can make money doing. He agreed that this was unfortunate but not really have a solution. Basically to say that, you know, you don't really get a choice of what you want to do. You have to pick something that's going to make you money in this system. Now, he went on to read a, he went on to read a quote from Andrew Jackson, a hero, hero to many members of the freedom movement for his opposition to central banking and fiat, and fiat currency systems. One of the problems I often see with this is the same problem with the people who venerate many of the slave-owning founding fathers. For all of Andrew Jackson's freedom fighting, he also signed into law the Indian Removal Act, which set the United States policy in place for the genocide of the Native Americans who had the misfortune of living on land that uh, the rich aristocrats of this country wanted for themselves, something I might add that freedom-loving author Ayn Rand also completely justified, not only against the Native Americans, but also against the Arabs of the Middle East, that any less developed culture did not deserve its resources. We talk a bit more about Ayn Rand. He didn't like the term the rich people and suggested the term the producers and achievers. I point out that the notion of hoarding wealth when people are starving does not sound very Christian. And I quote Jesus saying that it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. This is another one of the critical problems wherein capitalism and Christianity don't seem to be calling for the same playbook. When you watch the Century of Self and Psy War, they touch on, on the propaganda campaign that was launched to make capitalism seem to go hand-in-hand hand with the principles of the Bible. One of the things that came to mind when I think about this was when Michael Moore in his film Capitalism, A Love Story, where he dubs over the scene in a movie where Jesus is, um, basically Jesus is in it, where, um, where this mythical figure refuses to cure someone because they have a pre-existing condition and suggests that the guy will have to pay out of pocket for treatment, because that does sound so Christian. I asked Mr. Davis how much work Jesus asked the people that he fed with a couple of pieces of bread and a couple of fish magically to work for that food. Mr. Davis went on to explain that he did not feel that any such message would be to suggest that people should be lazy and that nobody should be getting anything for free. He placed a great deal of emphasis on the need for everyone to be working. He also seemed to project the lazy concept onto anyone who would, might be in a position to seek charity. This is another problem that comes out of the capitalist mentality particularly if you're going to follow Ayn Rand's method of thinking, that anyone who is poor or in need obviously deserves their suffering because they are not working hard enough. Otherwise, they would not be poor or suffering. This idea, of course, does not take into account that in our monetary system, many people who are not lazy at all are still not in a position to make money. 
In order to survive in a monetary system, people must find a way to be useful to other people to survive. The problem with this is that it is not in the best interest of someone to be dependent on anyone else. Hence, needing labor or the requirement of someone to have a job working for you is not in your best interest, particularly when profit is your motive. And with technology advancing as it is, the system is finding ways to eliminate jobs, not create more. So in other words, as society progresses, there are going to be a lot more people who are not lazy whatsoever, yet still cannot find employment and cannot find capital to start a business of their own that is extremely likely to fail anyway, especially if we found ourselves in a sound money system again. We got into a conversation about how actual communism and socialism would work and how the Soviet example was not the correct example of either. I brought up the example of collectively owned businesses wherein the workers themselves all own an equal share and therefore have an equal interest in the profit of a business and the well-being of a company and the people who work in it. His answer to that was to bring up a story from one of Ayn Rand's books wherein such a company existed and failed. In the story, the people in the business would demand that profits from the company be given to those who were in need rather than those who had worked harder. Examples such as one worker's child needing braces and another worker's grandmother having a disease were used, and that it eventually destroyed the company. He used that as like a counterpoint or a debunking point. Atlas Shrugged was a work of fiction, and the author in question had a certain agenda for the stories in the book. So, of course, anything collectively owned that proved that the workers could be the ones in charge of their own destiny as opposed to the producers and achievers who actually end up doing the least amount of work should end up with the majority of the profits of a given company would have to fail in one of their stories, in one of her stories. Any notion that people could work together to collectively be better off than agreeing to be slaves for a few elites is dangerous to someone like Rand. Then he went on again saying that hopefully these producers and achievers would be Christian and would therefore use their reward to benefit everyone else. Well, once again, Mark 10:25, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. This seems self-defeating. Because even the Bible itself doesn't seem to be to seem to indicate that such a thing is likely. But in, a, but in a serious contradiction, Mr. Davis venerates the producers and achievers as if they are entitled to have more while other people have less. The problem is, according to the Bible, there are not going to be too many producers and achievers in heaven. These producers and achievers, I'm saying this a lot because he used that word a lot, these words a lot, also get to determine who is president or holds public office because they have the money to decide who is heard or seen. We then talked about how the monetary system seems to hold back certain technologies because they would render certain markets obsolete. He stated that he acknowledged such things were due to evil and corrupt behavior. So again, for capitalism to work, people have to believe it is evil and that they will be punished by some entity who has not done anything tangible on this earth for centuries, if ever, to prevent behavior like keeping electric cars out of the mainstream because you don't want to lose your money gain through the oil trade. I remember pointing that out to him again when he suggested that we propose what, what we pr- propose is too idealistic. The notion that his system would, will, will only work if Christianity is the glue that holds it together. He didn't really have a reply to that point, but I did feel that was very idealistic. He told us we were too idealistic because we thought certain things would happen. Now, he's telling us that as long as everybody's Christian, then capitalism will work just fine. Now, there was a lot of repetition and tangents throughout this conversation, 
and a lot of my regular listeners were chomping at the bit, wanting to call in to debate with Rudy. But in uh, Rudy, but in the end, one of the major reasons I wanted to have this conversation with Rudy was to prove a few key points. If I had attacked Rudy and his beliefs, he would not have exchanged any information. If the conversation was full of personal attacks, no real value would come out of the conversation. This is one of the reasons that Jacques tells stories about how he handled his mother's racism or the racism of the KKK. This conversation was an important example that we cannot reach each other as people if we cannot freely and honestly exchange our beliefs. Even in this very positive conversation, I doubt that Mr. Davis was highly impacted by what I said, but I can say that I guarantee that seeds were planted by this conversation that he will not forget. Some time ago, I had a guest on, and one of my listeners suggested the guest would never get it. I pointed out that many people will not get it, but at least they can know we are not enemies. And that goal, I believe, is achieved with this show. So that was the end of my comments on the blog. I guess I'll check out what you guys are saying in the chat room. Um, I guess Voice of Reason is talking a lot. Let's see. Moral landscape, ethic of reciprocity, golden rule, believe in a soul, value of belief, I can admit that I believe, blah, blah, blah. How do I word this? Sociological Newton. Sound money is a horrifying prospect. The only way to make sure the current elite don't own the world is to liquidate their funds and have them start over at zero. Even if they're rich, they don't want to. Christianity was being exploited, etc. Well, <laughs> this uh, show took a heck of a lot less time than I thought it was going to. If anybody would like to call in, now would be the time. Otherwise, I'm going to end the show early. Um, but I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> I definitely agree with you, Voice of Reason, when you point out that Ayn Rand's books are always works of philosophical fiction, which means they do not have to in any way whatsoever reflect sociological reality. <laughs> yeah. You know, I talked about the possibility of Rudy coming on again. Um, I don't know. Uh I had a lot of listeners that liked that show, and then I also had a lot of regulars who were really annoyed with that show. <laughs> like Doug Millette and, and Thunder both wanted to call in, and I'm like, guys, I, I don't know if I can trust you to be nice to this guy. <laughs> That's what I told them. So, um, <laughs> yeah, sorry. One of those guys is like, man, I'd call in, but I just got high, and I'm going to sound like an ass. But um, I could definitely call in if you'd like to comment on a few things I did hear. Uh, what kind of things did you hear? I mean, what's the topic? And then I'll decide that. Have to wait for him to reply, so let's excuse the quiet. You are listening to V Radio. Please visit vradio.org. V-radio.org wherein you will see all sorts of awesomeness in our archives. Destruction of ignorance. <laughs> That's right, we destroy your stupidity. We use weapons of mass education. The last, like, ten minutes. All right, Voice of Reason, how do you want to call in? you want to use the... Uh switchboard or do you want me to add you via Skype? If you want me to add you via Skype, then message me on Skype and I will add you via Skype. If 
you're going to call in and tell me in the chat, and I'll go look for you on the switchboard. <sighs> anyway, sounds like the Alex Jones show. What sounds like Alex Jones? No, it's not Alex Jones because I haven't growled incessantly yet. Are you ready? Yeah. That Alex Jones guy. Anyway. I'll go ahead and add you. Okay. Are you going to do the same thing for the Charles Vetch show? Um, You know... I don't know. I think that one went pretty well. I didn't really pull very many um, punches uh, when it came to the, the Charlie Veach or Vitch or whatever. I can't ever say it. Um, so I don't know that there's really anything that I, I didn't say. When I was talking to Rudy, I had to uh, be a bit more polite, and there were some things that I, I mean, I hate to be blunt, but there were some things I recognized that I didn't feel that Rudy was going to grasp if I said them. Um, it's kind of a matter of trying to get past somebody's thing there. But Did I listen to the last Z radio program talking about the women of the zeitgeist movement? No, I did not, Bruce. Um, what, what was that about? Oh, look, Al from Mexico was on. Anyway, Anybody who wants to be added, BTV115, um, that's the Skype. PM me on the Skype, and then I'll add you to the call. The chat got out of hand. What, were there trolls or something? I keep forgetting you guys have a big, long delay on this thing. I'm accustomed to talking to people in a chat room on a Justin TV channel, in which case it's instant. But Oh, hold on a minute. Al wants to be added. Just decline and add him to the show. Give me just a second. Um, Calling Al from Mexico. Hey, Al. Al? The rest is too damn hot. Hey, Al. Um, we're on the air, by the way. <laughs> How you doing, Neil? Not too bad. Um, we have you some... Yeah, you, you sound good? fine. You could be a little louder. But, what um... about now? Can you uh, hear me okay? Yeah, you sound good, Al. All right. Okay. Um, I also just added Devin Evans to the call. Um, I presume your voice of reason? And that would be very much correct. Can you hear me? You sound great. All right, cool then. Yeah, sorry if there's a little bit of a background noise, though, you know, and all that stuff. Um, you sound fine. You know. All right, cool then. Yeah, I wanted to. Yeah, if you don't mind me, if you don't mind me saying, I'd like to go ahead and comment on the on the whole uh, I man thing, which which I tend to find funny, really. You know, there's this guy I know on Stick End called Eagle Eye 1975 who always recommends Ayn Rand's work, and I never read it, but the moment I started reading it, I began to think, this sounds like fiction. And then after that, I looked at, I looked up to the side and realized that it was fiction. It's a, it's a work of fiction, nothing more and nothing less, really. And yet people who say that, oh, it, um, that it should be considered in some way, shape, or form having some merit in reality, I'm like, dude, Fiction is fiction. It doesn't represent reality. That's why you have something called footnotes. 
guess what? Ayn Rand doesn't have any footnotes. So anything, so even if she's trying to display some form of reality in any of her stories, then everything she says is invalid to begin with because she has no references to go on. Well, most of her show, her shows, her books and stuff are meant to be like, you know, uh, morality plays or allegorical. Um, and she also does some nonfiction stuff, but they, that it's the stuff that she says as a person that really terrifies me. Like the, the statement that, you know, we were justified in slaughtering the Native Americans because they didn't deserve their land because they were less developed than us. She said the same thing about the Middle Eastern countries, you know, and it's just when people say stuff like this, you know, and then on the same token, like, you know, because this is the thing that worries me, like that John Galt character, um, you know, that was in one of her fiction books. They're, they're quoting him on a lot of the, uh, the Tea Party signs. And that's the guy that said that, you know, Robin Hood was the man who stole from the poor and gave to the rich. Or no, I'm sorry, Richman gave to the poor. I'm the opposite. I steal from the poor and give to the rich, or more specifically, the productive rich. You know, this, these are the kinds of people that she makes her heroes in these books. You know, and the, and the masses are always, you know, like you, uh, you? people to be ground down. Yeah, what's up, Al? I think she, she uh, idolized Hitler, huh? <laughs> I think maybe probably he was he was her idol or something. You know that's the ironic thing um, is that she came from Soviet Russia and supposedly hated fascism and was supposedly oh. this big freedom person. The problem is is that when you study her real life, you find out that she was actually a real tyrant in her life. Like, you know, um, she had this affair like openly in front of her husband. Um, with this guy that she pressured into having an affair with her, even though he didn't really find her attractive. And, but he was like, well, it's rational that we have this. She was like, well, it's rational that we have this affair. And then, uh, you know, that's narcissistic in and of itself. But then he goes out and has an affair of his own, and she flips out and throws him out of the objectivist movement. Which is the she, don't, she, don't, she went crazy at her. I, yeah. I was reading something that she... She she kicked him out of the movement and and she she left him with nothing and I don't know how many things she did to him in revenge right mm-hmm. that's yeah that's basically what happened you know and it's it's just that's one of the reasons I did the Ayn Rand show and you can and it's called who, what what philosophy would benefit the NWO because the more I study Ayn Rand and the and like the vision she has for the world, the more I'm like, this is the freaking new world order, man. This is what they would want, you know. Especially yeah. that strike of the mind when all the elite get together, sabotage the infrastructure of the planet, and then go off to their little utopian gulch where they eliminate the word "give" from their vocabulary. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, what does that sound like? You know, that sounds like the frickin' New World Order a hell of a lot more than an egalitarian scientific society where everybody is taken care of. That's you know what I, I don't understand that. I'm sorry, go ahead, Al. You know what I think, uh, Neil? With this, uh, with so many super powerful uh, politicians and, and businessmen, when, when at this level of power, they, it, I, I kind of find it hard to... To uh, to understand how how could they um, they could give most of their power away simply because they keep pressuring pressure each other 
you know, mm-hmm. they, they, do, you know, do, you know what I'm going to, you I know, so. they, they push each other not to give anything, you know. Well, yeah, and that's, it's just like, uh, what was his name? Um, yeah, Patty Shannon in, in Capitalism and Other Kids Stuff said that it certainly was in the benefit of the elite that we're all divided. You know, we think of ourselves as Mexican, black, white, you know, or Christian, Muslim, Jewish. You know, it's better that we're all divided because then we never ever point, you know, point at the finger at who's actually controlling everything. We're too busy fighting each other to ever think about ganging up on the few elite. You know, that's why I used that example of the grasshoppers in a, I think it was a bug's life, you know, who were like, you know, will you shut up already? We don't want them to figure out how many of them there are. You know how bad it would be for us grasshoppers if they figured out how many more of them there were than there are of us. You know, right. it's like their whole thing was keeping people separated. Yeah, that's that's the point. They keep uh, pressuring each other not to give anything away mm-hmm. simply because it, it would it would probably create an escalate of problems for them. I, I, right. You know. Well, when you think about it, Al. It's also to their benefit that we don't help one another because that way we become more dependent on our job. You know, our boss becomes our parents, you know, because if, you know, if we don't please our boss, then we have nowhere to go. You know, it's like right now in the United States, the economy is failing in such a way that people are moving back in with their parents. But a lot of people don't even talk to their parents anymore past a certain point. They don't really have that kind of relationship, you know, and then they therefore have nowhere to go. Destroying the family unit makes you completely dependent on your boss and your employer, you know. Right. And, and another, go ahead, Devin. Uh, yeah, yeah. An- another point that's interesting to uh, uh, to flesh out here is that my my dad he used to talk about how about how you know whenever the kids were like 18 and when they would get to 18 or 20 or some somewhere around that age or whatever the kids would like find a job they would get a nice home or whatever and move out or a nice apartment and then work their way up and whatnot you know and he says that nobody does that anymore really you know I, I mean since the since the 90s and since the uh, since the 80s kids don't grow up to the age of 18 really they usually stay at home uh, with their parents. Because why? Because it's a lot cheaper to stay at home with your parents and then you work your way up so that you can get enough money and then move out. Rather, rather, rather than instead when you used to like turn 18 or whatever, you would get like a job or you would have a job from the age of 16 to turn around that time or whatever, and then around that time, once you were the legal age to move out, you could do that or whatever. But, you know, that's one of the problems with the, mod- with the current economic and sociopolitical system that, uh, that you know, it's forced people in a position where it's cheaper to stay home with the parents until they get enough money to to uh, to to move out. And, so, and some people, some people have even been forced to actually move in, in with their parents in places like, let's say, a backyard trailer and whatnot, because they because they literally can't afford to live on their own. Really, like there was this guy I know named Scott Nelson. Uh, I think it was Scott Seidner. I can't remember which one really, but they well. But he lived in the back, and he used to have, like, a really nice home, but something happened to him economically. I can't remember what it was, though. Uh, but, you know, he was forced to actually move in with his mom, and, well, he actually only makes so much to where he can where he can pay only his, his side of the bills, uh, his, his own food, and, and maybe expenses for traveling and a few entertainment stuff, and that's it, really. 
he can't he can't go anywhere and he, and he and you know last time I remember he actually hates his job because of the position he's actually in really. So I think that's a huge problem. Uh, and and another thing of course talking about what you guys were referring to in regards to unity, uh, that that's another thing with the whole new world order prospect is that uh, most people harp on the whole idea of a one world religion. I'm pretty sure you've all heard about that. You know, the idea that the new world order wants a one world religion. If anything, that would probably be one thing that they don't want. You know, uh, I, I mean, you know, and it's mostly these fundamentalist Christians or Islamic types that keeps they keep putting it forth. Really, but what's interesting about this though is is that they have the mindset where they actually want the world to become a but, you know, those people who are against the one world religion usually are, are either A, Christians, B, B Muslims, or C, some, some type of New Age uh, uh, group. And what, you, and what you get is that they don't want the other one world government religion coming forth. What they do want is that they want their religion to be the one world religion. So you kind of have this, this, this sort of false view of what's really going on here and what the real values are. Right. That's you know it it is interesting that that seems to be the the case is that it's not that they want to get you know it's not just that they oppose the one world religion it's that they only want their religion to be the one that's the one world religion you know and as much as like you know Rudy told me for example even you know as a Christian you know he would never advocate you know um, uh, coercion or force like you know never showing up at my house to to force us to be Christian or whatever. The problem is, is that the track record of Christian organizations says otherwise. Otherwise, they wouldn't do things like, well, I mean, it's been a long time since the Crusades, although a lot of the language going on in justification of the war in Iraq and Afghanistan sounds a lot like the Crusades to me. Um, it, it's, it's stuff like trying to pass legislation, like they think it should be illegal for them to, to make things that are against their religion illegal for us to do even if we're not part of their religion. Um, Reevaluations of the Constitution that they wanted to be. Well, what the Founding Fathers really meant was that you were free to be Christian and nobody could stop you, you know, because you know, they're all, it's a Christian nation, and therefore we should all be Christian. You know, it's... Yeah, which is, yeah, which is funny because most of the Founding, like, what was that, I think 13 or 14 or a significant number of the Founding Fathers were deists. Or, or, or if they weren't deists, they were at least secular, so they would have literally opposed their views, you know? <laughs> well, that's another thing about these New World Order types. A lot of them, like, or you know, conspiracy theory types, that is, a lot of them venerate the Founding Fathers, and at the same time they say anything Masonic is evil, even though almost all of the Founding Fathers were part of the Freemasons. Actually, only 13. Only, oh. only 13? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was only 13, actually. Okay, that's still a lot of freaking people. You know, whereas yeah. anything that even has slight Masonic connections now is evil New World Order. You know, I'm not a Mason myself, but I have a couple of friends who are Masons. They never talk about being bent on world destruction. You know, it's just it's just a group. What were you going to say, Al? I thought you were on the Illuminati, Neil. <laughs> Illuminati. <laughs> no, 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 that would be me. I'm the Illuminati. Uh, BTB, here is my lackey. <laughs> oh, damn it. You, you, you revealed to them that our, our true plans for world domination. For world domination. And you know what's so silly that is? It's something that me and, and Jack and Roxanne talk about all the time is that, you know, we're supposedly New World Order shells and, 
you know, we're being bankrolled by the Rockefellers, you know, and, and John was oh, really? like, if, yeah, I was like, man, where's my check? I, you know, if I'm going to be bankrolled by the evil empire, at least I should get some money out of it. I wouldn't be, you know, taking donations for my damn radio show. Like Alex Jones says that the that the Venus Project is some sort of a new world order uh, part of part of that thing. I, I was laughing so hard I couldn't believe what he said. You know. Well, you know, like we said in like we said in many other shows, real quickly. You know, uh, if this was the big new world order agenda, because the other thing that people like Alex Jones complain about constantly is that. You know that uh, the mainstream media is corrupt and is a total tool of the new world order. Okay, then great. Then why is the Venus Project not all over the mainstream media? Why is it, in fact, this big fringe thing that we have to struggle all this time, you know, time to get people to do? Now, what were you going to say, Devin? Well, I, I was well. What I was going to say was is that one of the most hilarious things that you guys think that's hilarious about the idea of us being called New World Order. I believe it was a YouTube video I saw one time. Putting forth, um, uh, putting forth the idea that Peter Joseph was a part of the uh, what was it, the thirteen Illuminati bloodlines? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's that's something you're probably going to be laughing at for probably days. I can't wait to know, you know, where I'm I'm related to some New World Order bloodline. That'll that'll be pretty cool. Looking forward to hearing about that. Yeah, but anyway, um. I, you know, speaking of the rent is too damn high, I better call that guy and, uh, well, he's still got his website up and, uh, see if I can get him on the show. I'm the new, the rent is too damn guy. Oh, dude, the rent is too damn guy. No, seriously, I I was going to mention that I didn't know anything about that guy. Uh, when I was, uh, in the show last week. So after that, I thought, wow, that, that, I heard that from you, from a previous show of yours. Right. That you mentioned that, that you, that you mentioned that to another guy that, that you were talking to. And I thought, wow, that's a really nice line. I thought I could use it for my own, for my own show, you know, but (laughs) then I, then I, 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 uh, I typed uh, the rent is too damn high on, on Google. And I found this guy, and I, and I thought, wow, this guy is awesome. I didn't know, I didn't know anything about him, you know. And I, when I was, the last time I, I, I was on the show, I didn't know anything about him. Well, that's why I asked you to say it in Spanish, man, because you can start the Rent is Too Damn High party in, in Mexico. Did you see his, his video, his music video and everything? Yes, which one? They're all funny. Uh, the one that he's dancing with his girls and... and, and and there's another one, I think, that I was actually thinking about writing a, a, a song with this, with this uh, a soul song with this, uh, with the Rennie Student High title, but then I found this guy and I said, oh, my God, it's, it's already taken, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and what a guy, what a guy. I was impressed with, by this charismatic uh, character. Yes, he's, he's a mix of, like, Hulk Hogan and Mr. T. Yeah. <laughs> this guy is great, man. I, I, I just completely loved him when I saw his website. <laughs> Are you going to invite him again or what? I'm going to try. He agreed to come on at one time, and then something came up. And, and I understand what's going on. Like, when you're doing an independent political campaign, you have to take all the opportunities you can get. But what were you going to yeah. say, Devin? It sounded like you were starting to say something. 
Oh yeah, oh yeah. I, I was uh, speaking of the whole rent is too damn high and whatnot. Uh, did, did you by any chance uh, catch that one thread I ended up posting up about uh, about um, uh, the unemployment uh, rate is actually uh, a little over twenty two percent? Did you catch that thread by any chance? Uh, I didn't, but I've seen those statistics before. I live in Michigan, <laughs> where where that reality is is very close to truth. Um, I mean, honestly, it feels like that's like a conservative estimate because, like, one of the things you have to remember is that when they calculate unemployment, they only calculate the people currently receiving unemployment. They don't calculate the people who are not yet claiming it, cannot claim it, or have already run out of unemployment. So the number can be really a lot higher than any statistics that you see. Well, actually, the mainstream statistics, from what I've been seeing from uh – from mainstream news sources and whatnot, especially from semi-mainstream news sources as well, is usually like about 12 to 13 percent around there. So I would imagine that uh, that the 22 to uh, 23.7 percent of unemployment would probably be a little bit closer to the truth. If if not, maybe a little bit higher. Uh, maybe like 24. Point Three percent, perhaps. I'm not too sure about that, though. Right. Uh, but, you know, but, you know I, I would estimate that to be at least the closest that one could possibly get. Really, there's always, uh, you know, when calculating these and statistics, there's always numbers and varying and whatnot, and all that stuff. Now, I mean, I'm back on somewhat anyway of the show topic. Did either of you listen to the Rudy Davis interview? Uh, yeah, I was. Uh, I was no, no. Well, you could have listened to it any time. It's an older show, Al. But what were you going to say, Devin? Yeah, yeah. I actually listened to it, you know, and some of the things, it was just, you know, um, it, it was just too cringing. It, uh, and, you know, uh, sometimes someone in the show, I can't remember what the, what the statement was or whatever, but he gave one argument before you dealt with it, and then, and then he gave, and then, like, what was it, 20, 20 minutes later or whatever, he ended up giving out the same exact argument. Yeah, and, I thought and, it was an engine. Uh, yeah. uh, it, it, it was, no, I don't think it was about religion. I think it was about something about the sound money. He ended up uh, putting He did both. He, Al is right and uh, you're right. He, he, um, he repeated um, both. I don't think I, I enjoyed that show too much. I think this guy um, was uh, on the very religious side of things, and, and he gets he kept uh, putting God over and over and over again, so I, I started to lose interest in, in pretty much everything he said. Well, that's, yeah, I, I know what you mean, but, you know, if if you guys remember the, the show I did when I said, no, no, the economy is failing, I mean it, where I talked about the fact that I had a roommate who was supposed to be Christian, went to church every Sunday, who thought it was totally fine that he'd just take off, not pay his rent, and screw over my family, but I, as an agnostic-leaning atheist, was the one who took him in and took care of him for six months with no rent, you know, because rent was too damn low. (laughs) You know, I didn't charge him any rent for six months. I'm the one who took care of him, and there was no God Almighty telling me that I needed to do that. I did that because it was the right thing to do, and he was somebody in need, and I could help him. You know, and I didn't do it because I thought I was going to go to heaven, you know, for doing it. You know, and I don't do, you know, I don't prevent myself from doing bad things because I think I'll go burn in hell. That's why the coercion thing works really good 
for people who are stupid. You know, if, if you're a low intelligence person, then the option of, you know, this mythical being burning you forever, you know, that's a real motivation for you. But, like, for really intelligent people, that shit just doesn't work. You know, and that's um, – uh, there was another thing that I, I, I tend to bring up, and, and, I, and I tell people never bring this up in debate because it's not, it's not a nice thing to say. It's very much an ad hominem. But, you know, when I was talking to Patty Shannon from uh, the – What not to bring up? What's that? What not to say? Yeah, I'm getting to that. Um, Patty Shannon from the Socialist Movement was talking to me about some of the difficulties he's had talking with people from the right. And I told them that, you know, most people are not aware of this, but we have statistically proven that people who are, you know, right-wingers almost uh, have actually been statistically proven to have a lower IQ than people who are not. Um, in fact, most of the most brilliant people in the world, like I, uh, Albert Einstein, was a total socialist, as far to the left as you can get um, that basically it's been found that statistically uh, really right-wing conservatives, particularly, you know, the religious types, tend to be lower in education, not education, but lower in overall intellect. Um, so essentially um, it isn't something you want to bring up when you're debating with somebody. You don't say, well, yeah, I understand why you're right-wing. You're, you're, you're probably lower intelligence. But it does help people to understand that in some cases – it does require somebody who's not overly intellectual to be able to make the, the, the leaps in logic and reason that are required for you to believe in the free market system. Um, and it does require a bit more intelligence to be able to comprehend some of the aspects of the concepts that we talk about, which I don't really feel are right or left, but most people list us as left because Anybody who cares about anybody else is obviously left. <laughs> You've got to be left-winger if you care about anybody but yourself. You know, so. Uh, so on some, well, well, on a certain, well, on a certain level, as far as the IQ standard goes, you know, I mean, from my from my experience with others, there I ran into people with very high IQs, high IQ scores, but they don't seem to have much in regards to. Uh, uh, social speaking skills, or even recognition on on certain uh, sociological attributes, such as you know noticing when someone is nervous, et cetera, and all that stuff. But there's also the uh, uh, the gauge on problem solving as well. You know, uh, high IQ scores do not actually uh, having a high IQ does not correlate to you being able to uh, solve problems. You know, it, it may allow you to maybe recognize certain things uh, perhaps faster than the average person, but the whole IQ score thing, uh, you know, as, as far as uh, people who are conservative, well, I, well, it's, I, I guess it really depends on, like, what type of conservative it would be, like, for me, for example, as far as my political leanings, I would be, while I am an advocate of the Zeitgeist movement, uh, you know, my political leanings, at least within the system, is more or less a classical conservative, uh, you know, more conservative on, on, on the realm of that, that government needs to stay out of the free market in certain areas, and the government needs to definitely stop the free market from taking stop the free market from taking over and monopolizing in this area and that area as well. We also need to be more liberal, progressive in in uh, places like uh, so, like places on advancing sociology, advancing society, trying to keep the health, trying to keep health up and whatnot, and all that stuff. You know, and and, and I could. You know, in my point of reference, I can see uh, the value in a free market system if, like, if if you know the if 
if there's actually uh, scarce or if we're dealing with a new resource and we don't actually know what's scarce, et cetera, and all that stuff, I, I could see the merit in using it in that as long as we as long as we have some sort of statistical data to go on. But with the free market, we really don't. We you know assume things are scarce, to be honest. But you know, I, I've met some very uh, intelligent people who are right wingers. You know, but for the most part, yeah, most right wingers are in fact and in reality uh, very very conservative. And usually they tend to be creationists, you know. And, and I mean, like for example, Ron Paul, while he may be very intelligent as well in other areas, he's in fact a creationist. It's it's interesting too, you know. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. He is. Not he's like a, a big time Christian. Yeah. Right, he is. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, he's he's hardcore uh, Christian right wing. Um, but even, even so, I I heard and I saw many videos of him, and I thought, wow, this guy really has some great ideas, and he says everything as as it is. He doesn't keep anything to himself. I mean, he he tells the truth, and I I totally respect him. That's no, I, I respect him too, even though I don't agree with him about his you know his ideas on economy, but. That doesn't mean I can't value him as a politician. Um, right. You know, as compared, I mean, even though I don't agree with him, I can tell that he cares. You know, he obviously right. cares. And right. that, you know, honestly, I'd rather have a politician that cares about people whom I don't necessarily agree with in office than somebody who, you know, at least claims to agree yeah. with everything I say. I wish, I wish he was the president of the U.S. or 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 Bill Maher, man. Seriously. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm, you're not alone in that. Um, yeah, and one of the other politicians actually that I, I'm fairly fond of is a good friend of his named Dennis Kucinich. Oh, that's another great guy. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> you listen to him, man. He he fires up on people in the you know in the in the Congress. He doesn't let them get away with nothing. But yeah, the yeah. funny thing is the two of them like when they asked. Um, they asked Ron Paul at one point, if you know, if you weren't running, who would you support? And and he said Dennis Kucinich was one of the people he would support. Um, he also said that he would suggest him as a possible running mate because he didn't really agree with anybody in his party. <laughs> he couldn't think of a Republican that he would have, um, you know, in his uh, running along with him. Um, is, Ron, is Ron Paul a Republican? Yes, he is. Yeah, he is. He's Republican, and and it's interesting too, as as far as Ron Paul's uh, uh, religious aspect, go, going back to that for a second, real quick, is that is that I noticed one thing that he definitely did say that uh, that was that was relieved of. Yet at the same time, uh, you know, the atheist chat rooms I tend to hang out with, that they you know they won't vote for Ron Paul, they don't like him because you know he's a creationist and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know. But but to be honest, uh, the whole um, oh what was it I was going to say oh yeah he what he basically said was is that his religious views and his creationist views would not at all actually mandate or, or dictate his uh, foreign policy or or any type of his governmental policies. As a matter of fact, he prefers to keep his religious views completely separate from the other one. You know, even though I mean he, he may be hardcore Christian or whatever, but at least. Uh, you know, if, if what he says is true, at least I got to give him that. At least, and if he does become president, at least we'll have like one of the very few hardcore Christians who tend to uh, who get in government, get in places of government, and don't push their religion 
onto onto uh, their governmental policies and whatnot, because you know that tends to be the case usually throughout history. No, for the most part, I agree with you. I mean, he is a libertarian at heart, and I don't believe that he would want to force it on anybody else either. Um, there are some people who support him, however. Um, this is actually what ended my support for him, was he supported Chuck Baldwin from the Constitution Party. And the Constitution Party is, is a constitutional party pretty much only in name. They're very theocratic. Uh, they think that laws should be introduced to ban profanity, that laws should be introduced to ban pornography. Um, and the funny thing is they think the First Amendment, protecting the right of free speech, is, is, was meant to include that they should be able to ban these things. What's, what's, what's Ron Paul's position on, on gun possession in the U.S.? Uh, he's, he's a real big gun rights guy. He's oh, really? Very, oh. Strict, very strict constitutionalist. Yeah, he, he's not so a... So he, he defends the right to, to, for people to possess guns? Absolutely. Uh, you got to think, man, this guy's in Texas. He's a congressman in Texas. There's no way you're going to get away with... <laughs> being anti-gun in uh, Texas. I, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, that's bad. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. It, my personal feeling is I don't think that making guns illegal really helps. But um, I've seen that, you know, in some cases they do help you and in some cases they don't. But it, the reason that I said earlier was that the, the notion that your guns are helping you stop, you know, stave off a fascist state is so silly because – like, I, I usually use the example, I watch the military channels sometimes just out of curiosity because they display, you know, futuristic weapons that they're testing. The new Tomahawk. <laughs> well, with, new, with new missiles. Laser-guided. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the new Tomahawk missile has its own missiles that are laser-guided. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny, really. Uh, with, with gun regulation, the, the only way I could... Uh, I mean, this is how... I would well, say hold on, hold on just a second, just because uh, I want to finish my point. I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, was that in on future weapons? These are just the things they're willing to show us. Okay, that the stuff that's you know being tested right now that they're even willing to talk about is so much more powerful than your hunting rifle or even your modified AK-47. It, it's it's never nothing that we can own would ever stop the government from just rolling us over. And they use examples like the Waco compound as, well, you know, these people had guns and they were allowed to protect themselves. Like, no. The only reason that they, the Waco thing went on as long as it did was because that the people outside had to pretend to actually give a shit about the innocent people inside. If it was a government fascist takeover, they'd have just rolled that place with tanks and that would have been over in five minutes. They would not have wasted their time shooting pea shooters at each other. Neil? Yes? Did you see that in the military, in the military channel? They... they they are now making robots with guns on top of them, and they are they can control them in, in they can uh, radio control them and, mm -hmm. and and I was like Jesus Christ what wow this is uh, this is just unbelievable they they can send now uh, dozens of these robots with machine guns on top of them and and you know this is even this is even scarier than ever you know how, yeah, how much money they invest in, 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 in military technology is it's just unbelievable. Now, they make these, yeah, these rifles. Devin, yeah. real, Devin, real quick, make your point that you were going to make when I, when I had to cut you off to finish mine about gun control and then go on to these robots. 
Oh, uh, well, I was, well, I was actually going to do that, but uh, all right, okay. Um, as far as the whole gun control thing, the only way I could really see gun control actually working on any level is to sort of monitor, like, who exactly you sell the guns to and possibly put in, like, an RFID chip into the guns to sort of ID tag people and whatnot. So that way, in case it's, like, someone ends up getting a gun, et cetera, and all that stuff that isn't ID tagged, uh, with DNA processing and all that stuff, you couldn't, uh, you, you know, you would sort of narrow the field down and you would know which, you might be able to find out where exactly to look, what neighborhoods to look and all that kind of stuff. That's the only way I could see gun control working well, although then again, there's a few problems with that. But as far as the whole robots thing, you know, as far it's ironic too as well because you got to imagine, like, do you, I mean, how many people would realize that if these particular robots with guns were used in sort of like archaeological excavations or or, or in excavating uh, foreign planets and whatnot to see if maybe there might be some ruins ruins underneath them or to go down go, go down there personally and perhaps capture some uh, some unknown chemical that and take a sample of it, et cetera, and all that stuff all at the same time, then being able to drill and whatnot. That same technology could literally benefit exploration in, in the space level and an archaeological level. But the very fact that they're using it for that purpose is just horrifying. Exactly. That's the point. I mean, Jesus, for what's next, you know? RC-controlled helicopters with non-humans uh, driving it and, and killing uh, civilians. I mean, it... And it did you guys remember that video where where the uh, where the helicopters in in Iraq they they just uh, made made a shooting spree killing the, uh, those uh, re news reporters and, yeah. and those kids? Yeah. Can you imagine if those they, they were humans in the helicopter? Now try to imagine a scenario where there are no there are not even humans there. I mean, the amount of mistakes that can be made without having this human consciousness behind those weapons. You know? Well, the funny thing is there are no mistakes when it comes to programmed AIs, at least not on the part of the computer. Um, <laughs> however, I'd be more concerned about what people were pro programming the robots to do intentionally. <laughs> right. so that's, I mean, because then you don't have the little thing like morality to stop you. Like, that's, like in the military, for example, if you're given an illegal order, you're actually entitled not to obey it. Um, and it, but a robot, on the other hand, is just going to do whatever you tell it. Um, right. And you know, it's um, that that for me. I mean, yeah, we did a show actually on on what you're talking about the uh, the WikiLeaks video of those guys shooting up those people with their helicopter or whatever. That video is just freaking scary. Wow. I know. And then yeah, and then you got to imagine what it's like to live over there. You know, that's, and then they say, "Oh, they shouldn't bring kids to the war." I mean, what are you talking that's about? What you are bringing, you are bringing war onto these kids, not not the other way around. Yeah, I know. They, these like these these guys are driving around in the place that they live, and then they're saying yeah. that. And then that's they are justifying their their acts by by saying that stupid statement. Yep. Well. well while that while that is all horrifying, I think I, I think let's go ahead and keep in mind here that there are other technologies that are just just as equally, if not more horrifying. Like, do you guys like? I'm not too sure if you're aware of this, but uh, do you guys know that they're actually trying to work on a on an exoskeleton human combat suit where where yeah. it would actually increase 
you know, enhance the strength, the strength, strength, speed, and all that. Yeah. 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 And it's uh, and, and it's actually planned planned to be used on uh, used for domestic use, not for war use, which is really scary. Yeah. They are going to use it primarily for military purposes. Every new technology that the U.S. works on is basically and primarily used first on military uh, technologies. So that's very. Well, yes, but it's you know it, to be used domestically means that they'll be in the hands of the police, um, which is both good and bad. I mean, you know, we got to remember that in some cases these technologies do get deployed to put down bad people, but on the same token, it's more effective to try to find ways to prevent bad people from existing in the first place through the environment, you know. And that's, um, but you know, this has actually been a great show. Um, thank you guys for calling in to help me with the last little bit of it. I actually have to go, but. Um, thank you. Yeah, thank you both for coming on. And you know, in the future, when I know I'm going to have a show, you know, by all means, if you're interested in being on D Radio, um, contact me in my email. Let me know that you'd be interested. And I'm usually I'm often looking for panelists. All you need is Skype um, or a landline phone, but I prefer Skype. And uh, you can join the show very easily through that. And uh, thank you everybody for supporting us. Um, what we've been doing. Um, I'm actually working on getting a couple of shows lined up. I want to have the people from the Twin Oaks commune on my show. And uh, there's a couple of other filmmakers I've been working on. We'll get into all that later. Uh, please visit vradio.org, v-radio.org. Um, and you can see archives more shows like this. Um, all right, guys, say good night, and then I'll leave us with uh, some words from Jacques Fresco and Roxanne Meadows. See you later, guys. Good night, everyone. This is Roxanne Meadows. And this is Jacques Fresco. And you're listening to V Radio.